The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading this evening comes to us from Exodus chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses says, said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, neither man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. God, we thank you for your word. One of our elders, uh, Wes, has a knack for coming up with great conversational icebreakers. And one that I've stolen from him is this one. What's a song that you would play in your car at full blast, turn it up to 11, windows open, singing at the top of your lungs? My family sometimes laughs at me when we play DJ and we get to pick our songs that we get to listen to in the car because I pop this one on because it's one of the first ones I think of. It gets me incredibly jazzed and encouraged. It's got a great beat, but it's got an even greater message. It's an old Cademan's Call song. Most of you don't know who that is. But it's a song called Thankful. And I'll spare singing it to you, maybe, but here's some highlights from the song Thankful. Again, got a great beat. It's fast. It kicks along. It starts out and it says, you know, I ran across an old box of letters while I was bagging up some clothes for Goodwill. And you know, I had to laugh that the same old struggles that plagued me then are plaguing me still. I know the road is long from ground to glory, but a boy can hope he's getting someplace. But you see, I'm running from the very clothes I'm wearing, and dressed like this, 
I'm fit for the chase. And this is the chorus that I love. Because no, there is none righteous. There's not one who understands. There is none who seek God. No, not one. I said no, not one. So I am thankful that I'm incapable of doing any good on my own. I am thankful that I'm incapable of doing any good on my own. Okay, why in the world, Dad, my kids ask, or why in the world, you might ask, is that one of your favorite songs? How in the world is a song that's titled Thankful as it talks about being unable, incapable of doing any good on your own. How is that titled thankful? And that's what I want us to consider this evening. It's the question of where does gratitude or thankfulness truly come from? When we gather around a Thanksgiving table, and I bet every family has that uncomfortable tradition of being spotlighted to give thanks for something, right? Everyone has to go around and give thanks for something. I want to ask the question, when we do that, who in the world are we talking to? Are we talking to each other? Or does thankfulness flow from a deeper place? Because when we give thanks, each one of us, deep within us, knows something. Whether we want to admit it or not. We know we don't deserve what we have. Think about it this way. Can thankfulness come really from believing you are good? You are sufficient. You are enough in and of yourself. You are deserving. Can thankfulness come from that place? We could try that but probably not without disastrous consequences. In the scriptures, Jesus gives us a picture of what these disastrous consequences look like in Luke 18. And in Luke 18, he highlights two men around a Thanksgiving table, if you will. One, a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day, and the other, a tax collector. And the prayer of the Pharisee is the spotlight shining on him basically at a Thanksgiving table. Maybe you've heard one of these around your table. Maybe from that relative who maybe thinks a little too much of themselves. But this is what the Pharisee says in his Thanksgiving prayer or message. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like extortioners, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, and I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get, I am thankful. It's very different from the favorite lyrics of my shout-out song. What's different? What do you hear about his prayer of thanks? He's not actually praying to God. He's thanking himself. I'm thankful that I have made myself into something. Thanks be to me. But it's prayer that's not thanksgiving. It's thanks taking. It's taking credit. 
It's taking source code. It's taking ownership for what good he has. But what is thanksgiving instead? I am so thankful that I'm incapable of doing any good on my own. Thanksgiving, friends, is the full admission that anything and everything you have is from the Lord, the maker of all that is. Therefore, be thankful at all times and in every way. So tonight, as we press deeper into Exodus and we look closely at the final promised plague upon the Egyptians, I want us to zone in on verse 7 as a centerpiece tonight. It's one of the final things Moses will say to Pharaoh before they ever see one another again. He said this to Pharaoh, But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And two questions I want to ask tonight and how they're related to Thanksgiving is this. First, what is this distinction between Egypt and Israel? What is it that the Lord is speaking of? And what's the purpose of this distinction between Egypt and Israel? Because when we answer both of these questions, what is the distinction and what is the purpose of this distinction, out of those whose hearts are able to hear and see those distinctions, out of us will flow thanksgiving at all times and in every way. First, what is the distinction? I'll answer it this way. That distinction is the Lord's distinction between mercy and no mercy. Between mercy and strict justice. We see this in the finality of these 10 verses in Exodus. Pharaoh, who has served as a representative for the way of the world, for the way of the enemy, the devil, for the way in which the devil holds people captive, Pharaoh has proven over the course of many chapters and many afflictions that Pharaoh's standard operating procedure is to be merciless. God has demanded a reclaiming of my people. And Pharaoh, in his mercilessness, has refused every single time he's been asked. He not only refuses, but he grips harder on them, adding his own forms of justice by killing babies, by making the slave labor almost impossible to do, by beating the slaves more severely. And the Lord, watching this and hearing the cries of his people, reaches his end. You see this in verse 1 as he declares, I have yet one more plague to bring upon Pharaoh and his people. One more. In the Hebrew, this is a different word, plague, from the past nine plagues. It's actually the word for wound or stripes or affliction. In, in the past, as he's used plague, Moses has used plague, the word has been for like a punch or like a pestilence that comes on people. The first nine punches lead to the tenth knockout. Pharaoh will be shown through the reality of death who is truly in charge. This is the final knockout also of all of the gods of the Egyptians who the Egyptians believed had power. Ultimate power. 
It's a knockout to the god they called Osiris. He was the god of the dead. He was actually considered the mighty one who had sovereign power. And Osiris' assistant's name was Anubis. And Anubis was represented as a dog who watched over the embalming process, the mummification process that we know about in Egyptians. Anubis, this dog, would watch over the process as the dog watched and guided them into the afterlife, they believed. And God makes sure to distinguish himself from Egypt's God as a merciful God to his own people in contrast to Pharaoh's treatment of his own people. As he says in verse 7 through Moses, not a dog will growl his tongue against my people. Anubis has no place talking or speaking or licking or barking at my people. They're going to be okay. Pharaoh has been operating as merciless. And what comes his and his nation's way is this final, awful, horrible plague. Knockout. The death of the firstborn. There will be no mercy shown to Egypt. But a merciful preservation shown to Israel. Why is Israel shown mercy? Why is Israel not given what they deserve? Because Israel, church, you know this if you know yourself, Israel is no better in their moral condition as Egypt. As the scripture in my thankful song speaks, there's no one righteous, not one. Don't believe for a moment that Israel is being spared because they are better than the Egyptians. The difference is the Lord is the one who decides who receives his mercy and he has put his mercy upon his people. And maybe the question we want to ask as we wrestle with that concept, what seems maybe a little unfair, is this, who is the one to receive mercy the one who asks for mercy. You might know you're the Lord's if you're the one asking for mercy. The one who sees and acknowledges with thankfulness that I am thankful, I'm unable, I'm incapable to do any good on my own. Have mercy on me. Israel was just as unmerciful as Pharaoh in Egypt. Israel was just as corrupt and controlling and careless as Pharaoh. But they, not on account of any good in themselves, are shown the Lord's mercy. And why, friends, does the Lord go after the firstborns? Why send judgment distinctly upon them? I want to ask a question, just I'm curious. How many firstborns do we have here tonight? Can you show of hands how many firstborns would be taken out as a result of this plague? Okay, so almost a third of us would be gone as a result of this plague. The firstborn, if you are a firstborn, and I'm sure you've felt it as a firstborn, is the representative 
of a family's future. Firstborn would serve as the baton to manage and uphold a family's line. They were the responsible ones. And you see how many of these firstborns in Egypt are going to be hit, every single one of them, from the throne, the firstborn of Pharaoh, to the smallest Egyptian slave girl. And the Lord, in His justice against a God refusing Pharaoh and His people, tells them in no uncertain terms what will come of their future when they live apart from the mercy of the Lord. It's death. Pharaoh had hope that his firstborn would lead his people continuing on on the throne. Pharaoh's son's death, the rest of Egypt's firstborn's deaths, are marking that Egypt's future, apart from the mercy of God, is dead. I mentioned Luke 18 a little earlier, but there's another prayer of thanksgiving found in Luke 18. You had the Pharisee's prayer, and then you have the prayer of the tax collector. What do we hear him saying at the thanksgiving table? Here's the words from Luke 18. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus promises this. I tell you, he says, this man went down to his house justified. This man went down to his house saved. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The thankful man in Luke 18 can't even look to heaven. Instead, he looks to his own heart and sees things in there that God has shown him that are awful, that are vile, that are evil, that are deserving of his death. And what is his response? Does he just refuse what he sees? Nope, not going to look at any of that. No. Instead, he pleads with the Lord this helpless cry for mercy. And when he goes home, he goes home justified. And I'm guessing the song that he's singing as he's going home is, I am thankful. That I'm incapable of doing any good on my own. Oh, glory be to God. Thanks be to God. And friends, it is sad to read this story of this account of the death of the firstborn with the Egyptians. But before we think them innocent victims, we have to remember they're not crying out, have mercy, O Lord. They're following Pharaoh. They're acting as the masters of their own fate. And you see in verse 2, they're not giving away their silver and gold because they love the Lord. No, 
They're giving away their silver and gold because they're saying, if this will get you and that Lord out of our country, then here, take it. Get out of here. Enough of this plague stuff. Just go away. What do we have to do to get you out of here? That's not a cry for mercy. That's a cry for comfort. I just want to be comfortable again. Get out. And the Egyptians, it's ironic, but they're being plundered, right? But they're being plundered not after they're all laying dead in battle where the military just comes and takes things off of dead people. No, they're being plundered before the battle, before the death of the firstborns. Why? Because they're walking dead. They're wanting God out. Friends, the mercy of God is gifting his people with riches beyond measure. As Israel is loaded up with all this gear, all this bling, it's not because they're good. It's because they're his. And friends, what are they going to end up doing with some of this silver and gold later in Exodus? They're going to make a golden calf with it. They're going to make a different object of worship than the Lord. Showing once again, they're not deserving of God's mercy any more than the Egyptians, but oh, does that mercy show how committed God is to his own people who cry out to him for mercy. He continues to show Israel, he continues to show the church grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. I want you to do this tonight. I want you to ask the Lord to look inside of your head and look inside of your heart And look inside the outworking of your hands tonight. How much of your thoughts are filled with mercy? When you look at others less fortunate than you, or more obviously sinful than you, are you thinking, thank God I'm not them? Or instead, have mercy on them as you've shown me mercy? I'm so often blown away by the sinful mercilessness that goes on in my head and my heart. What's the remedy? See the Pharaoh in you. See where your future would be if God in his mercy hadn't rerouted your path. Pharaoh's, Egypt's end would have been your end. And parents, imagine your firstborn dead as a result of your sin. And remember, The mercy of God. How much of your heart is filled with mercy for others? If it's not, it's most likely because you've forgotten or have refused to receive the mercy that's been shown you. Would you ask the Lord to remind you once again that the grace you have received is only in your hands because of the death of his firstborn who knew your name well before you knew his. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, the Lord says. If that's you, then live as if that's true by being thankful and living merciful. Last, what's the purpose of this distinction? Mercy and justice. Mercy and no mercy. 
It's to lay eyes upon the glory of the Lord. The purpose of these plagues, friends, one commentator writes, is to show the power, the jealousy, the justice, the mercy, and the ruling hand of God. All of these things that I just described are God's perfections. If we had all those things in our hands, think what that would look like. If we had power, what would it look like? We would be Pharaoh. We'd be demanding more rather than sharing it. If we had jealousy, which we do, we'd be squashing and killing those things that are not like us. In our mercy, we'd be doling out compassion to those we think deserve it. Yeah, I think you've earned it. Yeah, I think you've earned enough. Sure, I'll show you some mercy. And in our sovereignty, we choose to rule our world for our own good. And in verse 9, we see the purpose of this distinction. As it reads, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. All of these punches and the final wound of death was for everyone to see and set eyes upon the glory of the Lord. To see that salvation belongs to the Lord alone. I am so thankful that the Lord knew we were going to refuse and reject Him. I am so thankful that the Lord would make a way even then to save someone like me and show me mercy. I am so thankful that the Lord would not kill my firstborn, but that He would kill the firstborn of all creation, the Lamb of God, Jesus, so that I could have a future. Jesus' cry on the cross, so I would not have to cry out myself. If I would only cry out, have mercy on me. If I would cry to you and not me, be the glory, Lord. Jesus would be called not only the firstborn of creation in Scripture, he would be called in Colossians 1, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus would be raised, he would be raised so that the walking dead could be raised back to life with his mercy, his grace, and his resurrection. The purpose of this distinction is to reveal the wonder of God's love. As we move into the Advent season beginning this Sunday, we want to be moving to a place where we can place all of our hope in the Christ basket. Pharaoh had hope in the future of his own success as a leader, as a God, future in his hope of what his kingdom was going to come to. But the Hebrews, and now the church, have a hope directed in the future success, not of a Pharaoh leader, but another leader, as God is forming a new kingdom. Jesus Christ alone, friends, is the hope for the world. Jesus Christ alone is the only place to find mercy. Find mercy in the person of mercy. And the purpose of that mercy is to display to a world through the death of the firstborn 
and the firstborn from the dead, the glory of a merciful and glorious God. I'm so thankful that I'm incapable of doing any good on my own. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. And we pray, Father, that as we prepare to leave this place, that we would remember the picture of love found in the firstborn of creation being crucified and the firstborn of a new creation being raised. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.